Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jay and Ellie. I'm Lorelai Weissel. I'm Brian Dawes. And I'm Chris Delano. And we have a special guest on with us today. I'm Kelly Diggs. <laughs> so we invited Kelly on uh, to talk about Mythic Odysseys of Theros, who Kelly is uh, credited in, and we'll talk about that in a, just a second. We had brought James Wyatt on uh, earlier this year around Theros Beyond Death's release itself. Uh, due to some delays, we couldn't talk about anything with the book, which I had hoped to be able to do. Uh, and since we're hoping to have him on again for Zendikar, uh, we decided to invite on Kelly, uh, who did some cool stuff in this book. So, Kelly, what did you do in this book, and what are you credited as? So, um, I am credited as uh, I'm credited under designers, um, and I am also credited under additional art direction. Uh, when when I saw that I was credited under additional art direction, I was like, "Wait, what? <laughs> huh?" But um, uh, based on who else is credited under additional art direction, I was able to figure out that additional art direction covers. Uh, I believe the art directors of the card art that features um, that features in the book. So any of the any of the card art, the art directors for that get credited under additional art direction. And I do in fact have like half a dozen art direction credits at Wizards. Um, there was like half of a commander set that I was co-AD or took over for Mark Winters after he left, um, and then a couple cards in Dominaria. So I, I, I actually scoured the book and I was able to figure out that when it says additional art direction, what it means is I was the art director for part of the time on Eryxmithies. <laughs> so for that I get a credit. But, um, but, but mainly what I did was as one of these designers... Um, uh, I was an outside contractor, you know, they called me up uh, because I have the magic experience, obviously, and I've been doing all kinds of freelance stuff of various kinds, so freelance writing, you know, and I'm, I've am i always loved tabletop RPGs, that is one of my gaming passions, it's sort of hard to make money on, uh, generally, <laughs> but um, but Wizards, Wizards is a great, a, a great employer, at least for me, you know, um, uh, they they treated me well and I I enjoyed working for them. Uh, yeah, so I I, I wrote uh, five sections about the gods. I wrote about Crufix and because come on Crufix he's my favorite uh, and they liked that and then they gave me uh, the four main gods other than Heliod who had already been done I I, I assumed by James Wyatt. Uh, so er Erebos, Thassa, Perforos, and Nylea I got to do all of them. So what was the process like on that? Uh, so they they gave me the assignments. They gave me templates. The templates were very templated and very helpful. Uh, that was kind of nice that I was not having to figure out what the shape of the thing was. It's like 200 words about this god's relationship with other gods. Ooh. Ah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I also had a sample chapter to look at, so... It, it was not, I was kind of worried that I was going to be sort of in the murk, but no, it was, it was very clear, while at the same time giving me lots and lots of room to both draw on existing Theros lore. You know, I had I had um, both world guides, the original one and the Theros Beyond Death world guide, which, you know, I was getting that early. Uh, 
and uh, then uh, anything else, all this stuff, you know, cards and stories about Theros and Godsend and all that. So I was able to just draw on those and fill in the blanks, uh, but obviously filling in the blanks is the hard part. And uh, so that's that's mostly what I did. So what kind of new stuff did you include and what was like fun new stuff you got to do with some of these gods? So one of the challenges was that these some of these gods are not my favorites. Crufix is. Some of these gods are not. And so digging into Erebos and Perforos in particular are gods who, uh, you know, go figure. I like Crufix and Thassa and Nylea I have a slightly easier time with. But, uh, but, uh, but no, Erebos and Perforos I struggled with. So I was able to, um, you know, I... I, something I said, something I said the last time I was on a podcast when I was on Lorgoifs is that I, you know, I kind of approach things as an archivist. I want to make sure that if things exist, they get in there. So I did a lot of incorporating things that already exist in Erebus's chapter. I gave names to the, uh, gave names to the characters on uh, the one that does the Orpheus myth. What is that? I can see the art in my head. Right, right, right. Uh, rescue from the underworld. Rescue, rescue from the underworld. Reviving melody. Reviving melody is the card. I took that and gave names to those characters because it's a great myth about Erebos. Um, so I wove that into Menelaus' song, um, and uh, you know, kind of gave gave that a whole thing. I also uh, I made up a whole story about. Um, I made up a whole story about. Uh, King Makar. I Ooh. don't actually remember if that made it all the way in. I don't think it did. I don't I, think it did. I just reread all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I used the phrase "King of a Distant Polis" and then I mumbled to myself a lot about how I didn't know if that was a thing or not. Um. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. Um. But uh, you know, as a as a potential as a potential Erebos themed villain. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that, that may not, that may not actually have made it through. That's, that's, uh, I, I, I gotta say that it, that is a freelancer for Watsi mood where you are like, Hey, there is space to create something new here. I'm going to create something new and really hope it doesn't tread on something else that exists somewhere else that I don't know about. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. I, I assume because of, uh, Timoret that um they wanted to keep it focused on the the black demigod with Erebos. Uh the demigods were not the demigods were not part of the brief. I I did not write um I did not write based on the demigods, but um but I'm I'm sure that was I'm sure that was on their minds. Um but yeah, so I I got to I got to I got to come up with a bunch of uh a bunch of villains, you know, filling out the quests and ideals and um you know villains and all of that for each of the for each of the gods was a really really fun process love villains uh as as someone who gets to write a lot of character work for magic uh villains are the best they're pretty great good good guys bad boring 
Yeah. Glad Gideon's dead. <laughs> well, and I, you know, I mean that 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 fits well with writing for uh, an RPG, where it's like, yeah. well, you know, the the heroes to some degree will take care of themselves. Right. I need to I need to come up with really compelling villains for them. <laughs> so these the gods of Theros section. So I should note for for those listening, if you do not have the book, this is uh, chapter two is all about the gods of Theros, and each one gets like. Um, thousand to two thousand words somewhere in there uh about half of that is you know building up the background world building of each god uh and the other half is kind of um mechanical for being a uh a devotee of that god in D's system yeah like so right. if, if i can just like kind of sidetrack to mechanics i i, I really like this piety mechanic so yes. you know um theros is a world where not only do the gods exist, but they are they are undeniably present in the fabric of society, culture, nature, interactions, everything. The the gods are just there. You cannot pretend they don't exist. Like you can not you can like be the like the Leonin and choose to not worship them or not devote yourself to one, but you have to acknowledge their power and existence in the world. Unless you're Xenagos and then you're a jackass. But, um, <laughs> so like, like, I, I like that this space opens up for pretty much character of any class, uh, to be devoted to a god. And this piety mechanic kind of, uh, functions, uh, what was the mechanic in the Ravnica one? Um, renown with your guild? I think so. Yeah. Um, it's kind of similar to that where, like, you know, you can be a fighter and still be devoted to a god. And do things that, like, level up your piety and you will get bonuses for how pious you are. How, you know, do lots of things that Iroas wants you to do and Iroas will grant you more of his power. And I think that's a really cool mechanic that uh, makes this a little bit more unique than some other things we would see in D&D and allows um, a really Theros-specific take on, you know what it means to f- do a god's work and to have a connection with the deity outside of like clerics and paladins and like sometimes warlocks uh that was cool yeah one of the really fun things was that uh in addition to you know uh drawing on my knowledge of magic lore and you know coming up with new stuff about um relationships among the gods uh and stuff i was able i i got to actually design some of those uh, some of those piety bonuses that there were there were basically guidelines of like cool. roughly what le- you know roughly what kind of you know what level of spell effect or, or magic item effect it should uh, it should it should grant and then so I was able to go through and be like what what how does Erebos bless you uh, so <laughs> I think I think most of what's in the chapters that I did as far as the piety bonuses I, I think most of it was originally from me which was which was that was very fun to get to do yeah as someone who frequently plays clerics especially in 5e like this section was of the book was just my favorite part and like even though it's geared to like help people who aren't necessarily one of the religious classes uh gain a benefit from worshiping a god i I still felt it was a soup my favorite part of the entire book awesome uh, <laughs> so, uh, are there any other notes from those gods you'd like to talk about before we move on to some of the other sections? 
Uh, so like I said, I, w- I kind of, I kind of, I struggled with with Therabos and or with er- excuse me, Erebos and Perforos in particular. Uh, you know, bringing bringing to them like coming up with the villain parts for them was pretty easy. Uh, you know, Perforos is randomly destructive, and Erebos is, um, he's just not very nice. Well, he's very murdery. He, he's pretty murdery, <laughs> and like, uh, you know, for the gods of Theros section of like heroes. Under Erebus, like, heroes who worship Erebus, what, what is that about? It's like, well, you could be, you could be concerned, you know, with gold. A lot of his followers just want, want to get paid. Uh, but, um, but yeah, so kind of, like, oh, you know, the, the Erebus, the reasons for Erebus's favor or whatever, uh, you know, some of them are, you seek Erebus seeking, you follow Erebus seeking financial success, but, like, one of them is, you can't bear to witness suffering, so you serve Erebos to bring peaceful ends to the unfortunate. Yeah, the, like, mercy-killing kind of stuff. Mercy-killing, yeah. So, um, so coming up with heroic reasons to follow some of these gods uh, was a little tricky. Um, and uh, meanwhile, you know, like, uh, Krufix was also kind of tough, because Krufix very much favors standing aside, letting things be as they ought to be, and occasionally swooping in and saying, mm, no, you shouldn't have that knowledge, you shouldn't have that artifact. So a lot of good hooks for quests there, um, and good hooks for, for villains who want to take away your stuff because it is too powerful for this world. Uh, the other thing that was really, really fun was the little section on relationships among the gods. Uh, getting to really sit down and be like, okay, if you read what all the gods are supposed to do, um, Thassa and Krufix both mentioned time, and th- that's fine. But like, how do they approach that domain differently? And uh, so, you know, what I arrived at there, and getting to do more than one god, I got to kind of work this stuff in. What I arrived at there is that uh, Thassa is all about the the cycles of time. Uh, you know. Uh, Nylea does the seasons, but otherwise, you know, just like slow, slow progressions and cycles. No, sorry. Nylea's cycles of time. Thassa is slow progressions. There we go. Thassa is slow progressions of time of mountains wearing down and whatever. Um, she also does the tides, but Krufix is concerned with the passage of time itself. Uh, the, the substrate that all of that works on. And what does that do to their relationships? Do, you know, do they resent each other? Do they work together? And that was... That, that section was, I think, my favorite to do on All the Gods. You know, you you do mention Thassa for a sec, and, and you mention um, a bunch of different myths that are kind of included here. And uh, I, I gotta say, I I really appreciate the myths of Thassa section. This first one here, Caliphate the False. <laughs> <laughs> And uh-huh. uh, one of one of the fun things about this book is that you know it's it's from the perspective of existing on Theros. It's people who are bound to Theros and are kind of ignorant of the rest of uh, the multiversal ongoings. And uh, you know this is the Kiora story that you got to write uh-huh. a couple of years ago, except <laughs> it's uh, it's told from. Thassa's point of view, where uh, instead of Kiora stealing the Biden and and uh, you know Kiora besting the sea god, uh, it's uh, Thassa's version is that uh, she you know, quote she struck the imposter down with such fury that she shattered her Biden. 
Herforos, remembering Thassa's kindness to him on many occasions, replaced her sacred weapon. And that's just a lie! <laughs> yes, yes, it is just a lie. And I thought, you know, I thought, well, she can't, she can't, she probably can't outright hide that that happened. Mm-hmm. That, that, you know, there were, she brought a bunch of Tritons there to witness the fight, and they saw the Biden go. Um, but she might be able to tell them, like, oh no, you, you misunderstood. Uh, I hit her with the Biden so hard that she and the Biden fell out of reality. That's what that looks like. I, <laughs> I know you didn't know. And uh, and again, people are going to notice at least that for some span, she didn't have her Biden when she's floating around in the sky. Um, Perforos and Thassa are on very good terms in part because Perforos cannot hurt Thassa at all. And so why not be nice to him? Uh, but, uh, so, you know, and the fact that he replaced her Biden was in the world guide, mm-hmm. but, uh, but I, I got, I got to come up with like, what, what did she tell people happened to the old one? Because you can't quite, you can't quite skate by that. You need to have a story. And so that's the story. Yeah, that was, so, uh, I, I did, uh, creative text for Theros Beyond Death and, you know, so we had the card, we, we got a whole saga about, about that story and, um, you know, the, the final printed name is Kiora Best the Sea God. I was adamant, adamant through the whole process that uh, sagas represent the in-world stories that people tell about events and that uh, the name Kiora should not appear on the card anywhere because there's no way anyone on Theros knew her name. Uh, and then I got overruled by the fact that magic players need to know her name and that's valid. Yep. But, uh, you know, I... I laughed really hard thinking to myself of, of ways to give that to name that card without uh, without using Kiora's name. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny because since this book has come out, I've gotten questions from people sometimes like, is Mythic Odysseys of Theros canon? And I'm just like, uh... <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like stuff like this. <laughs> is any bit of it's... Greek mythology canon? It's it is as canon as stories on Theros could be, in that they are stories that people tell. Yeah, I I have I I remain an obsessive cataloger of true facts about fictional worlds, and yet even I have come to believe uh, the title of a very good essay that I read: "Canon is an abyss." Mm-hmm. Uh, canon is an abyss. It is fun to it is fun to pretend that this pretend world is as coherent as the real world and delve into it. But hell, even in the real world, when you delve into it, sometimes you find contradictions. History doesn't hang together as a as a as a coherent whole. And uh, so the the idea of is this canon or is this not? It's like man, I. I can barely even process that as a coherent question anymore. It's like, what are you talking about, man? Like, it, it is what it is. And especially when you're talking about a TTRPG where it's like, well, you, you, you tell me. I mean, you know, not that, not that you completely abdicate responsibility for it, obviously, but it's like, what's going to be canon in your game is your game. And I can't stop you. I cannot stop you. I always think that the the answer to that question is uh, I don't know what story are you trying to tell, right? Yeah, right. We've uh, butted up against that. We do for for each kind of standard set that comes out, we do a short three to four episode D and D adventure. So what is effectively like a, a four hour one shot um, across a couple episodes uh, set on 
whatever that world is. And then corsets, we have the freedom to kind of do whatever we want. And, uh, you know, we, we just did a kind of flashback to War of the Spark for Core uh, 21 uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we stated at the beginning that it was going to be a little flexible with the things we saw in the story. It was going to include characters, known characters, doing things that maybe weren't canon because those characters just weren't mentioned in the story. And then... Uh, like Jesus Christ. Yeah, we had this moment <laughs> where now there is a pirate named Jesus Christ who cheated my character out of a bunch of money, and that's just canon what? in the Vorthos cast <laughs> D&D uh, multiverse. It might be because the DM has a problem of speaking in character and exclaiming uh-huh. Jesus Christ <laughs> a little too much. <clears throat> All right, so... Uh, our adventure is a nice segue to the creating a Theros adventure uh, section in here. So what did you work on for the uh, creating an adventure section in chapter four? Uh, for the for the same the same five gods. So they gave, uh, you know, at least for me, like when I signed on to do Crufix, they were like, we have this chapter and this chapter. Here are the two templates. And so I was able to I was able to have those talk to each other. So um, I think it would have been real tough to not do it that way so that that made a lot of sense um so yeah so i did i did the same the same five and what kind of hooks did you what well let's let's start with what were the hardest to come up with like adventure hooks for in there uh so crew fix is really hard because so many of them boil down to keep something from happening um very passive you know but it's very passive. I mean, sometimes things that are happening are bad. So, you know, stopping them is what heroes do. Uh, that's, in fact, often how heroic literature is constructed. But Krufix doesn't actually care necessarily whether they're bad or good. He cares about other things. So suitably heroic hooks for what is essentially a a mystery cult with very aggressive secret-keeping practices was tough. That was a little tough. Um, but, uh, one, one thing I did, uh, really enjoy was with Perforos, you know, and uh, Doug has talked about, Doug Beyer has talked about this, like magic cards are about fighting. And so, you know, red in particular is a color that is all about emotions of many kinds, but Hey, guess, guess what? When, <laughs> when you need to deal three damage for some, to something, that's not, that's not love or artistic expression. Generally, that's that's anger. So getting to kind of delve in and say, okay, well, Perforos is also the god of um, of art and artisans and all this stuff. Um, you know, one of the quests is protect a traveling theater troupe as they perform a new play that glorifies Perforos and makes another god look foolish. Uh, there's also stuff in the world guide about people breathing the fumes of Mount Velus and like <laughs> having god visions, and I I ran with that. Like D and D is a lot more comfortable with um, things that's that skirt toward you know well you know alcohol and drug use, which magic avoids very much. Uh, so it's like okay, no, we can really dig into this. People get high on these fumes um i mean mean, so and and just like for setting appropriateness that i mean that's pretty similar to a lot of what people believe was happening at um oracle sites like delphi where uh you know volcanic sulfur was getting people a little wonky in the head and uh then you start spouting nonsense and uh if you are a culture who puts value in that kind of nonsense then you have an oracle (laughs) 
<laughs> magnanimous. <laughs> um, so uh, another thing that was a lot of fun was um, the the uh, the Heliod sample chapter that they gave us uh, really set the tone very well uh, for divine schemes and villains and like the scale to go for. So like one of the, one of the, one of Heliod's divine schemes includes the phrase, the sun has vanished from the sky in the mortal world and the dead can't enter the underworld. It's like, okay, that's an acceptable scale for what we're doing here. So I tried, I tried to aim for that scale in writing, uh, in writing, some divine schemes for the other gods, you know, making sure that there are some small scale things as well, obviously, like you do need those, but like a couple of the divine schemes are really quite, they're, 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 they're quite epic in scale. And, uh, I, that was really fun to do. And it was really fun that the Heliod chapter kind of established that and gave permission to do that. Um, like go ahead, go, 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 go all the way on this and you know they can always tone it down but they they wanted us to let loose and i did nice yeah i i really <laughs> like this line in the thassa section uh for under thassa's villains a druid of thassa after being mistreated by a coastal community uses magic to lure a plague of giant crabs out of the depths to take revenge <laughs> i think this is a good plan I don't know why this is in the villain section. This sounds like it makes things better. It's 100% a Lorelei plan. Yes, that's true. I don't remember if I wrote that one, actually. I, I could I could dredge that up in my notes, but I don't I don't remember. Uh, the water elemental trapped in the village well and turning the drinking water to sea, sea water or to salt water. That was... That was that was one of mine. But yeah, no, the giant giant crabs. I don't remember. Uh, if I did write that, I'm sure I was thinking of you when I did. Aww. Uh, I mean, how could I not? It has the phrase giant crabs. Hashtag branding. So there are a bunch of other chapters in here. So if you haven't picked up this book yet, um, the first chapter talks about character creation, where you can be, you know, the characteristic races of um, Theros. Uh, it adds some some cool supernatural gifts in there. Uh, then we have the gods of Theros section, um, realms of gods and mortals is chapter three. We just talked about chapter four, creating a Theros adventure. Uh, and then there's stuff about treasures and friends and foes. But in chapter three, there were a couple things that I really liked. And number one, there is a map because we so rarely get like, uh, an actual map of a Ther of a magic plane, for a variety of reasons. I mean, legitimately, there are some planes that have just not been developed enough for a map, and it locks you in in other ways. And I just yeah. Like I mean, as soon as as soon as as soon as I thought as soon as I saw the map, my first thought was, "Oh man, a map of Theros. That's so cool." And my second thought, having written myself thousands of words <laughs> set on <laughs> Theros, was, "Oh god. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Wait. Hold on. <laughs> how? How?" Did I did I have a Johnny planes walk in by the coast and then walk to Tethmos in a day? Because <laughs> then, mm -mm, oh, I hope I didn't, um, and I do not remember. So our adventure that we did was set uh, beginning in Melitus, and then they walked to Asphodel, and then walked back towards. I don't think y'all ever made it back to Melitus. Uh, uh, me, me and Brian walked off into the sunset, heroes after kicking some ass. 
Yeah, and so I, I'm looking at the, when I saw the map, my first thought was, oh yeah, you know, all the lore said Melitus is close to Asphodel, and then I looked at the map and was like, no. oh, you cannot walk from Melitus to Asphodel. Yeah, it is <laughs> close, you would just not walk, you would take a boat. <laughs> well, they walked it in like about a day, maybe less. Okay, wow. <laughs> well, the nice thing is, on Theros, you can say, uh, you know, they were their task was blessed by the gods, uh, and they were born along faster than any than any mortal might on their own. So that is actually literally what uh, the book says <laughs> in this little exploring Theros aside. It's like, the the plane is as big or as little as the plot demands, essentially, yeah. um, which is yeah. which is fine. What I appreciate is like, I, you know, I, of course, being the giant nerd I am, have been tracking like directional information. And uh, this map is, is really, really good for that, considering... I imagine you all did not have this exact map in mind when you were writing all that fiction back in 2013. No, no. <laughs> I mean, other than Dominaria, like, never make a map. Like, not <laughs> not just like, we don't want to spend effort on that, but like, mm -mm, no, if you make a map, then eventually you'll show it to people. And if you show it to people, then I sure hope you were consistent with it this whole time. I mean, again, canon is an abyss. I love that little sidebar about making it as big or as small as you want, because, you know, that's kind of how it works in the plot as well. But at some point, people do need to know what's possible and what isn't possible in your world so that the story has proper stakes and... Uh, yeah, I, I would not want someone to be reading Godsend or whatever while flipping to the front and looking at this map, unless Godsend was written while looking at this map, which I promise it wasn't. You know, it works, though. I, I mean, I so I have a I have a small credit on here. If you're on D&D Beyond, it's the lead consultant credit, but it, the actual book, it's a lore consultant, and I compared all my notes to everything that was in here from all my rereading of all the Theros stuff, and it works. I think there's maybe, like, one minor thing that I don't even remember anymore. Uh, but for the most part, directionally, at least, it works. Whether or not timing-wise, it works <laughs> is a whole other issue. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, like, I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was created with some eye toward that. Um, but like compared to something like Ravnica, like when I saw the, the Ravnica book or the Ravnica map, I was, I did not freak out because, um, I knew that largely things said on Ravnica had ignored that. And if they hadn't, you could always say, well, the city gets bulldozed a lot, uh, <laughs> and rebuilt. So whatever. Uh, but you know, and then before we, you know, the map was made before war of the spark, with the knowledge that the exact locations of things in relation to one another were going to matter a lot more than they ever had on Ravnica, because is instead of just a big city backdrop, it was going to be a war zone. Um, but yeah, for a, for a place like Theros, for stories that tend to involve a lot of traipsing around, um, yeah, it's, I'm I'm very glad this exists for the people playing D and D. Um, I think I, I you know I hope anybody writing future stories set on Theros for magic you know, takes it into account. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, I wouldn't, I would not want to be held accountable for <laughs> every little thing in this map. Uh, please don't do that. It's all right. I like, we're the ones who would yet, who would yell at whoever about it. So it's, it's yeah. We're, yeah. We're like, whatever. Uh, so, uh, there are a couple other cool things. There are two other named Titans that I wish had made it into the set, like Flage or what, Lorelai, you're the one who's been real anal about uh, um, Greek pronunciation. How would you how would you say F L A G E? 
Be careful, Jay. This is a family podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I realized at the moment it came out of my mouth. <laughs> I can't use like half my vocabulary with you all. I don't, I don't know. Ask James Wyatt. That's that's fair. But that is the uh, Titan of Burning Wind. Um, and then there was another Titan called Skatha, who was the Titan of Eternal Dark. Well, well that one I assume is probably Skotha. Skotha, yeah. So one of them is a titan based on, you know, the primor- primordial fear of fire and the other, the primordial fear of the dark, um, which goes along nicely with the other two titans. Uh, what, how did you say how to pronounce uh, the regent on Akros? Uh, what was it? Terranica. Yeah, the, the card that makes everyone remember that Gideon is dead. <laughs> oh, yeah. She, yeah. She's right in front of the memorial. Uh, Terranica is the regent of... Uh, and we knew that from the cards, uh, but one thing this reveals is that she is Anax's niece, um, which makes me wonder if she is Timotheus's uh, daughter, and if he's dead. Oh yeah. <laughs> All I want to know is when she becomes my wife. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. All right. Um, while we have some time remaining, Chris, why don't you go ahead and start with some of your questions? Oh, um, so you answered a lot of them, Kelly, while you were talking, but I guess just like an overarching question I have is uh, you mentioned that you worked on two chapters in particular. Did you have any other input in some of the other design elements that went into the book at all? None. It's very siloed. Um, So, I mean, it is possible, uh, I guess I haven't checked all the way through, it is possible that some some element of what I wrote ended up... um, you know, ended up elsewhere. Um, but I, you know, I included some monsters and maybe, maybe that inspired something in the bestiary section or whatever, but, um, but no, it, it, it was very siloed. I was given those chapters and the, uh, the templates for those chapters and otherwise did not, did not need to worry about it, which, uh, was not, that was fine. Like for, for something like this, I don't need to know all the details of everything. And if there are any oddities, they'll they'll patch them up. Yeah, uh, they they do a really great job in this book of sort of weaving the lore into some of these other aspects, like the new races that are in the book, which for our listeners, if you're not familiar, are the Tritons, the Satyrs, and the Leonin, who are, the Leonin are not just a reskin of the Tabaxi. They don't got the book. Zoomies. They don't have the Zoomies. They're very different, um, which I really enjoyed. And then there's also like a new subclasses for the College of Eloquence and the Oath of Glory. Um, the piety system is brand new as well. And we talked about that earlier and is really interesting. Um, and I guess you kind of had a little bit of involvement with that by writing sort of the piety for the gods you worked on. Yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, again, that was they they did a really good job of providing providing guidelines and then i really felt empowered to kind of work within those guidelines and a lot of what i wrote made it not all of it did which is not surprising uh because i'm not actually a dnd like game designer i've never done that before so uh but yeah that was that was a lot of it was a lot of fun yeah uh fun fun work note to all current and future uh creative managers give your artists structures so they don't drive themselves crazy. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Like parameters, good. Gives us gives parameters us... and goals. Yes. are nice. Um, yeah, yeah. Anything you can do to make sure that the work that the people you hire are doing is the work and not figuring out what the work is. Yeah, 
or worrying about what the work is. Well, right? I mean, um, like, as writers, we're going to worry anyway, because anxiety. Well, but, yeah. you know, that's just part of the job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, like, um, but yeah, no, I, I felt very empowered to come up with things. And I, you know, I asked, you know, and they were they were clear that, like, yeah, obviously, you know, other people are going to look at this and make sure it's not crazy. So, you know, make your best guess. Uh, so, like, I think Piety to Crufix giving you Mage Hand was an idea of mine. Uh, kind of thinking of uh, the various prophets of Crufix and their their shadowy hands, their shadowy magic hands. He, he does have a lot of hands, that god. He, he, like, he's got hands and his, his followers get extra smoke hands and all that, so... What else you got, Chris? Uh, well, I mean, most of my questions were uh, mostly about things I don't think Kelly worked on. Um, <laughs> uh, mostly, I just, you know, if the listeners are interested in, in learning a little bit, I had a chance to play. There's a short adventure in Chapter 4, I think, uh, called No Silent Secret, which is sort of an adventure about uh, Phoenix. And I got to play that adventure with some friends, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and I think it really sets up the world of Theros pretty well because it does sort of a lot of what this book does, I think, very well is it does give you those giant sort of God plots like Kelly, you were talking about earlier with uh, Heliod taking the sun out of the sky. Um, and I think there's one where uh, Erebos creates a poison that can kill gods. Yeah, that was that was I believe was one of mine. Yeah. And these are sort of like giant plots that you could have an entire Theros block set around Um and or I guess you know Theros set now we don't have blocks anymore, um, but then uh, there's also like little tiny adventures. So like No Silent Secret is just about one returned, but then it sort of kind of points you in the direction of like maybe there's a bigger plot here you can play around with. Uh, and so I really recommend doing that that adventure for anyone who wants to check out Theros. Yeah, yeah, I I I think it's kind of amusing that. Uh, you know, we did our little Theros adventure before this is out and, and had to, mm-hmm. you know, because, uh, you know, Jay, you played a uh, a Leonin character and I, I believe you I just have the full Leonin stats and I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to play a Tabaxi, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me when I know card sets uh, in advance and can't put cards into my commander decks. <laughs> mm, yeah and chris was like how far how far is Mel- uh asphodel from from melitus jay and i'm like oh it's um it's it's a walk it's a walk <laughs> so it's, it's a ways yonder i believe i did uh i did write it into the story that you walked through like a fog at some point in time and that nice. was my way of like look if you can't see the road you don't know how long it is yeah, exactly fine. you have no sense of time in a fog that's just how the world works <laughs> that is how fogs are I, I, I also played an immortal golem, so what is time anyway? And I was only like <laughs> two or three years old, so like you know, I don't know what time is. I'm a baby. Yeah. With a warhammer. That sounds fun. Oh, you were one of the things created by Perforos's hammer? Uh yes. So uh my the backstory for my character was that um a a thief broke into Mount Velus and absconded with um Petros's hammer. And and started and wanted to craft an army of uh, of golems to for some revenge petty revenge plot. Um, Perforos, being a god, is like, hey, little mortal, why are you stealing my stuff? Smites this dude and um, 
in in the chaos of that event, uh, my my character was brought to life and uh, was uh, absconded with this uh, gigantic smithy hammer, which he they used as a warhammer. And uh, you know when you are a golem, an iron golem created by a magical god hammer, and you just kind of start existing one day. And you are just filled with red mana and uh, fiery passion. Uh, you do the only reasonable thing, and that's uh, go to Akros and become a gladiator. Love it. That's great. That is wonderful. And, and so, like, you know, big, big Russell Crowe arms stretched. Are you not entertained? Because, uh, like, you know, winning is less important than, like, making the crowd get as loud as they can in celebration and so that character was all about like how many creative things can i do in combat you know what are new ways uh i can you know to, to just like kind of play into that uh creativity and artistic aspect uh, uh the the character was a um eldritch knight fighter um but like had a lot of performance stuff um so i, I kind of dumped some stats points into charisma too but like uh you know being being the Eldritch Knight means I get to like cast some fire spells and uh, have a weapon bond where I can throw my hammer and then magically call it back to my hand. So I'm kind of like Fire Thor, who's also Colossus. Nice. So Brian and Chris, as our resident D and D fiends, uh, Brian, you first. Would you recommend this book to a D and D fan? Yeah, um, I actually think there's a lot of really cool ideas, even if you don't use the exact Theros world building um, for your campaign. I think the piety is still a really cool mechanic that you could use it with either the Theron gods or a god pantheon of your own making or even in the Forgotten Realms, if you so choose. Like, I think it's a really cool mechanic. And I also like to the, uh, the mythical... Um, armaments that that you could possibly unlock with that as well um i really liked a lot of the various mechanics that the book introduced and i also like the subclass uh the what is it the oath of glory but yeah it's i really like the the piety mechanic like, like i said that that's the kind of character that i aim to build most of the time anyway but i really enjoyed it and i think that as a DM, I might be doing... I'm not sure if I'm going to be playing Theros using this book exactly, or I might reskin some of the mechanics that the book introduces into a world that I'm preparing to build. So, And Chris, what about you? Uh, I'll just keep it short and sweet and say, yeah, absolutely. This book hits everything I care about when it comes to a tabletop role-playing guide uh, book. I want to be able to look at that book and pick what I want out of it and make stories from it. And I think that this book does an excellent job of just giving you a lot of options for you to pick from and tell your story with it. All right, uh, that'll be it for us today. So we'll move on to final thoughts uh, and uh, we'll just cede our time for, for Kelly here. Kelly, got any final thoughts for us? What you're working on? Uh, just general musings. Uh, so final thoughts, I mean, I'd like to say thanks to uh, James Wyatt and Wes Schneider and everybody else who I worked with at d and 
Uh, like I said, I had a really fun time working on this and uh, felt felt very empowered to take my parts of it and make them mine without having to worry about the other parts. Uh, and that was just about an ideal an ideal work experience for me. Um, so thank you to them. Um, I, uh, as far as what I am currently working on, I am, uh, I've been doing narrative design and some other creative stuff for a game called Gods Unchained from a company called Immutable. So, uh, there are stories out on their website about their champion characters. Uh, we did essentially kind of our own magic origins, introducing some new champions and I got to write all of that. So that was fun. And there is more upcoming. So, uh, if you, if you have enjoyed my creative work, it's not, you know, that game's not a hundred percent uh, my work by any means, but I've, the narrative in particular has been, has been mine to lead. And that has been a lot of, uh, a lot of fun. And, uh, I think we've made some very cool stuff. All right. Thank you for coming on the show, Kelly. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Finally got you on the show. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I miss you, man. It's been a while since we've gone I miss out. you. Uh, <laughs> uh, if, if all you folks out there like uh, the work I've been doing for Magic, uh, Kelly is the person to throw some kudos at for that. Kelly, you've been uh, just just a personal note. You've been uh, a good mentor and a good friend in uh, in in the industry. So thank you. Thank you. I'm really glad. Uh, you know when they like when when I heard that they were looking for somebody to do arena voice lines and I was not able to do it. Uh, you were the very first person I thought of, and I I. Um, mentioned mentioned you to them with no reservations and have been delighted to see what you've done there oh um, it's see you come into your own it's surreal as hell and uh i bet i it's hard to believe it's it's real but uh i'm uh, thank you for you know that that was really yeah. nice this is very heartfelt um and of course we are officially at the point now where you know more about magic's future than oh magic it's future. so exciting <laughs> i love it just like from a little petty standpoint it's great <laughs> um you, you you all know how lorelei rolls uh yeah so uh folks listeners out world uh if if you enjoy this podcast if you uh enjoy D and magic uh, the work folks like Kelly and I do, because, you know, hopefully you're listening to uh, the Vorthos cast because you're a Vorthos. Um, you can, and you want us to keep doing shows like this, bringing on folks like Kelly who, who contribute to the products that we are enjoying. Uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash the Vorthos cast and help support the show today. Uh, everyone who donates gets access to our Discord community, where Vorthoses from around the world are uh, talking uh, a lot, actually, about Arena right now, because the Amonkhet Remastered just came out with a... Uh, God, there's there's some new art in there that's really neat. It's like a whole new draft experience. Uh, you know, the Mythic Odysseys of uh, Theros book uh, is, is now finally in hardcover. It's, it's been digital for, for a bit now, but, uh, you know, if uh, you want to get a hardcover version of it, you know, check with your local game stores. Uh, if they are doing like pickups or deliveries or whatever you know they need your business more than ever right now so definitely check it out there and uh you know we just have a great little community that we would really love for all y'all to be part of thank you all for listening this has been the vorthos cast